6 o'clock tonight is our core meeting, and uh, I would love it, you know, if you haven't signed up yet, just so you know, you're more than welcome to come. The core is anyone who is serving in any way in New River, so, you know, any, any, any one of us who's serving, you're welcome to come tonight, even if you didn't sign up ahead of time, um, you can have my pizza. I'm happy. I'd rather have you there. So, um, you know, our servant team over the last six months has been really praying and seeking God about, about uh, what's next, about where the Lord's taken us. You know, this January will be our 20th anniversary as a church. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years. And so it's just that it's, it's a really important season for us as a church as we seek God about what's next, you know. It's not that what has been has been bad at all. Not at all. It's just that, you know, periodically it's important to stop and take a fresh assessment. Where's God going? Where's he leading us? And so um, tonight um, is an opportunity for any one of us who's serving to just kind of, we're opening up the circle a little so that we can get on the same page together and seek God together. And the most important thing that I plan to do tonight is that uh, we're going to pray from Psalms 90, verse 17 together, we, um, that the Lord would establish the work of our hands, that he would cause the work of our hands to be successful, that our ministry would be blessed by God. So as we pray together, I know God answers that prayer. That's right from his word. So I'm looking forward to that tonight. So if you didn't sign up, if you weren't sure what it was, come we want you to come at 6 o'clock. This morning we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about marriage and family. And, um, <clears throat> you know, f- four weeks ago on Labor Day weekend, I did a message on work and what the Bible says about work. And we learned that our work, all, all legitimate work is God's work. And that uh, your work is your mission field, that God you know, where you work is you bring and you represent Jesus where you work and you bring the kingdom of God where you work. And so that gives great purpose to your work. Your work is more than simply collecting a paycheck. Your work has a mission to it. And, uh, but beyond that, we also learned that one of the purposes of work is that we would actually have money to share with those in need who truly cannot work. And we learned that that was welfare. That's three weeks ago we talked about welfare, the biblical perspective of that, that in, in welfare, you know, that the God's, uh, God's intent is that the first line of care is in the family, that if there's someone in my family who needs help, that it's the family's responsibility to help that. And then if the family can't meet those needs, well, then, then the church kicks in. And, and where the church can't meet those needs, well, then we have to look at other means to meet those needs. But that's seems to be the order in caring for people who truly cannot work. And then last Sunday we looked at wealth, and, you know, obviously uh, God has great things to say about how to manage wealth. And, you know, he wants us to have, he wants us to be cared for. He wants your, your pocketbook to be blessed. And so we looked at that last week. And then but in the process of all that, we also said, well, we, maybe we need to do one more Sunday on marriage and family. What's God have to say about that? Because this seems to be the connecting point. So that's this morning. And, and then uh, after this, we'll get into some other things. But today we're going to look at marriage and family. And 
we're going to look at a lot of Bible verses, so most of them will be up on the screen, but the first one is in Malachi 4, and it's actually just came to me yesterday as I was praying for us this morning, and um, I'll just start with this. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, these are the last two verses in the whole Old Testament. This is not on the screen, it's, it's extra, since we put the PowerPoint together. Um, Malachi 4, 5 and 6, it says, God says, see... I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. God God places a great deal of importance and emphasis on the family. The family is the basic building block of society. When the family falls apart, society falls apart. And... Here, God says, look, his heart is to unite parents to their children and children to their parents. Why or else, he says, the land will be struck with destruction. You know, sometimes um, a curse is just simply that God allows us to bear the consequences of our choices and our behavior. Sometimes that's, that's how he does that. Sometimes God in his grace, he actually shields us from the consequences of our choices. Have you ever done that? Anybody can say, I escaped that one. Thank you, Lord. But then sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes we bear the consequences of our choices. And so you don't have to look very far in our world around us to see the devastating consequences of the family having been decimated and struggling in our world. And so... This is a very important message. I want to know what God has to say. But I want to say this at the outset. Um, I want to just, uh, please don't feel any shame this morning. I think some of us are going to be tempted to feel that as we go through this this morning. You know, every one of us comes from a dysfunctional home. There's no such thing as a perfect home. And so every one of us comes from some shape or form of dysfunction. Nobody's escaped it. We're all sinners. We've all sinned and gone astray. And some of us have a great deal of pain when it comes to our families, and some of us maybe not so much. But I want to encourage you to hang with me this morning. There might be times in this teaching that you'll feel tempted to feel shame, and that's not my heart. Please know that up front. And I encourage you to please just hang with me to the end. This is one of those where it ends well, okay? So just stick with me. And if you would turn in your Bibles, I'll be at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in a little while. But what I did was just simply this. All these scriptures on family and the marriage, I just arranged them into five basic headings. So the first one is this, and they sort of follow a flow. The first one is that family begins with marriage. Um, In Genesis, in Malachi chapter 2, it says this, Has not the Lord made them one, referring to husband and wife? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. See, he says, "Why why did God put... Husband and wife together because he's seeking godly offspring. It's God's plan, actually, to keep the human race going. It's God's plan, actually, to 
to continue to to keep to keep, continue to raise up generation after generation after generation of godly men and women. And the root of that is husband and wife, one. Family begins with marriage. And I love the second part of that verse. He says, so guard yourself in your spirit and don't break faith with the wife of your youth. You know, I found over the... I've, Karis and I celebrate 28 years. Next, This Saturday is our 28th anniversary. And... Uh, and so I can't, but one of the things that I've discovered in my own life over the years is the way that I think towards my wife has a direct impact on our relationship. I've been tempted at times to think negatively, and it's amazing how that sours our day-to-day relationship. And I think that oftentimes the enemy comes in and sneaks in and wreaks havoc right between the ears, right? And that's where my my marriage starts to fall apart, right here. And then it gets played out in the way that we treat one another. So that's why he says, guard your spirit. Don't break faith with the wife of your youth. And then the next scripture, Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and He said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. That's huge. What God has joined together, let man not separate. That tells me this. If you're married, you're married to the right person. There's, there's no such thing after 10 years of marriage to go, I think I married the wrong person. Nope. That marriage is a God thing. God made that marriage. The time for you to think about whether or not it's the right person is before you make the covenant of marriage. That's why we enter into marriage not lightly. That's why we take it seriously. That's why we need to enter into it with great counseling, With great advice, we need to seek the counsel of friends and family who love us and wise people. Is this the right move? Because, my friend, once you say, I do, it's done. God has put his thumbprint of blessing on that relationship. The covenant has been sealed. The two have become one. And he says, what God has put together, don't let any human being try to tear apart. It's serious business. So that's why marriage, the marriage relationship, is unlike any other relationship that you know of. Because the marriage relationship is a covenant. In order for a covenant, there's two important things that are, that, that are in a covenant. One is that a covenant has to be testified to. It has to be witnessed to. In other words, it can't just be me and my girlfriend in the woods saying, Oh, I love you, and we'll be together forever. And that's a marriage. No, that's not a marriage. That's a wonderful, nice, romantic feeling. But that's not a marriage. In order for a covenant to exist, it has to be witnessed to. That's one. Second part of a covenant is, a covenant is until death parts us. It can only be broken by death. Only. And so Jesus goes, what man has put together, don't let, or I'm sorry, forgive me. What God has put together, don't let any man tear asunder. The two have become one. 
And then Ephesians, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. A marriage, part of the reason why God has created marriage is, yes, for godly offspring, as Malachi says, but he's also created marriage to be a living illustration a living illustration of the relationship between Jesus and his church, that when people see husband and wife together, they get a little glimpse, they get a taste of Jesus and his church. It's extremely humbling for me to realize that in my marriage with Karis, I represent Jesus in this relationship, and she represents the church in this relationship. When I think about that, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's heavy, actually. I think I, when my neighbors and when my friends and when my family see the way that I relate to Karis, do they see Jesus in that? Do they see the way that Jesus serves his church in the way that I serve my wife? Do they see the way that Jesus protects his church in the way that I protect my wife? Do they see the way that Jesus provides for his church in the way that I provide for my wife? Do you see that? Wow, that's God's intention. Husband and wife represent Jesus in his church. So this thing called marriage is a big deal in God's eyes. And it's the family begins there. Um, The next point is this. Simply, God loves the family. He does. How do we know God loves the family? Well, Genesis chapter 1. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Do you see this? God blessed them. That's a big deal. The God of the universe blessed them. So he makes the first family, and he goes, this is great, you guys. Go be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? He blessed the first family. In Genesis chapter 7, we read, you know, so now you know how history goes. The world got bad. People sinned and wicked and it got worse and worse and worse. And then God says, I'm going to flood the earth, right? And so here we come to Noah, chapter Genesis 7, verse 1. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. So God started the world with a family. And he started over with a family. I find that fascinating. He took Noah and his whole family and put them in an ark and rescued them from the flood and started again with a family. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God's speaking to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. God begins to work his plan of redemption by bringing the Savior into the world. And where does God start? With a family. You don't want to forget this important fact that Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, was born into a family, right? That's how he came. So God loves the family. 
In Psalm 68, we read this, God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. So God's, so the solution often to problems, especially loneliness, specifically loneliness in Psalm 68, is what? The family. The family's the solution. Doesn't that make sense, right, that if, we started off in Malachi that if the family is falling apart, that society falls apart. So the way to bring society back together again is to bring the family back together again, right? Doesn't that, they go together, right? And so the family really is, I mean, God loves the family. But more than that, or to that, God loves your family. You know that? How do you know that God loves your family? Well, he has a lot to say about it in the Bible. That's how you know God loves your family, because he's, he's got some great direction for you. Deuteronomy says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Impress them on your children. You talk about them. These would be the commandments of God. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see the word impress? That word impress is a really important word. It's, it's, not, it's not that I have the footprints poem hanging in my bathroom. You know, oh, now I'm doing my job. That's it. I'm teaching my kids about God. No. Impress means that you're intentionally seeking to, to put into your young ones a knowledge, a relationship with the God of the universe. You know, you impress on them by your actions, by them seeing you, in, seeing you follow God in action. I've said it before. Have your kids ever caught you praying? They need to. You say, oh, well, that's a private thing. No, it is private, right, in your home. That's private, where your kids live, right? Have they caught you? reading scripture, caught you, meeting with God, having your devotions. Have they caught you? Because they need to. It's part of how you impress these things on your children. You know, you're driving to soccer practice and, and a question comes up. It's, you know, our, our Grow Zone teachers do a great job. Listen, I, I pray that every Sunday you drive home, you know, first question in the car. So, kids, what did you learn today? Right? It's a great question. Let's talk about it. You know, kids, my kids would always go, God, okay, well, I want to. Let's get more specific. <laughs> you know, you got to kind of have to press them sometimes. It's important. I'm impressing them on my children. You know, your kid comes home from school this week, and they had a bad day, and they're upset First step, well, honey, let's pray about this. Let's take this to God. Let's, let's pray. What are you doing? You're teaching them. We take our problems to God. We trust God with our problems. You're teaching them prayer, right? Impress them on your children. Um, God loves your family. In First Chronicles, we read about this guy, Obed-Edom. And um, I'll, let me read it. It says, the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. 
and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Now, this is a very important thing. Obed-Edom was not even Jewish. He was probably not even a God-fearing man. Obed-Edom was a Gittite, the Bible tells us. The Gittites were Canaanites. They were a pagan people that the Jews, the Israelites, were supposed to kick out of the promised land, but the Bible tells us they failed in that. They didn't. And so over the years, you sort of have this blending of the Canaanites and the Israelites, and the Gittites were one of those. And King David, King David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant. Remember at Christmas time? Bill made us a nice ark, didn't you, Bill? And it was gold-covered. We had it last Christmas, right? The ark. That ark came to represent the very presence of God. It was the most sacred item in all of Israel. King David wanted the ark to come to Jerusalem, where he had his palace, right? So he's making arrangements to transport the ark, except David did not consult God, he did not consult scripture and how to do that. They did it wrong, and a guy named Uzzah got fried on the spot as a result. And so the whole transportation got stopped, the whole processional, and it stopped right at this guy Obed Edom's house. And so they basically dumped the ark at his house. I mean, understand it was it was not a planned thing. It was okay, people are dying. Let's stop this. So they leave the ark. And I'm convinced, I think part of the reason why David didn't care is because Obed-Edom wasn't a Jew. Who cares if he dies, right? He's, he's not even Jewish. Leave the ark there until we figure out what to do with the thing. And what does God do? Blesses Obed-Edom. Pours out blessing. We don't know what it was exactly, but for three months, his entire household gets blessed. Why? Because God is in the center of his household. He wasn't even a Jewish man. Do you hear the lesson? Okay. You want God at the center of your home. Is God at the center of your home? This is not about dragging the kids to church if I get the right, you know, if the time's right. It, it's having Jesus at, as the centerpiece, as the glue that brings my home together. We run our home after Jesus. We manage our finances in the way that Jesus would. We, we, we manage our schedule the way that Jesus would. It, it's, it's more than having a magnet on my fridge with a Bible verse. You know what I mean? It's, he's at the center of all that we are as a family. This is a, our family identifies itself as a Christian, God-fearing, God-centered family and home. I don't know how else to word it, but you know what I'm saying? God at the center of my home. God wants to be the center of your home and mine. Where is God in your home? Is he an afterthought? Is he... Or is he the middle of your home? God loves your family. That's for sure. In Psalm 78, 
this group of people, they said, we will not hide them, the stories of God. We will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he's done. We're not going to hide them. We're going to be sure they know it. And remember this, two out of the Ten Commandments directly relate to your family. Children, obey your parents. So he's preserving the relationship between children and parents. And do not commit adultery. So he's preserving the relationship between husband and wife. Isn't that interesting? 20% of the Ten Commandments have direct impact on your home. So clearly God loves your family. But on that, not only that, God has a family. In Ephesians 2, it says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and you're members of God's household. In Ephesians chapter 3, we are that family from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. God has a whole family in heaven and on earth. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We are his children, and as his children, we are also heirs. Do you, have you ever stopped to think about that, that, you, that Jesus shared his inheritance with you? And until you came along, he was an only child. And you wonder, man, how does he feel about sharing his inheritance with me? Well, he died to make it happen, so I think he's okay with that. But you share that with him. And then you know my favorite verse, Hebrews 2.11, both the one who makes men holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. Therefore, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. So, my brother, you are Jesus' little brother. My sister, you are Jesus' kid sister. And he adores you, and you are precious to him. You're part of his family. God has a family. Jesus defined his family as this in Luke 8. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. So Jesus defined his family as those who obey God's word. Plain and simple. That's his family. Do you obey the Lord? Well, then you're his brother, you're his sister. But not only does God have a family, but God has a place for you in his family. John chapter 1, verse 12, it says that, Now, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So I become God's child by believing in Jesus. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You see that? How do I become a part of God's family? Well, I place my faith and my trust in Jesus, right? To those who believe in him, to those who received him, he gave the right to become a children of God. You know, we need to understand the difference 
You know, sometimes people say, you've heard it said, I'm sure, that we're all children of God. And that's not true. I mean, we, we are all children, I guess, in the sense that God created all of us, sure. And so in, if, that's a, if that's what you mean by it, okay. But it stops there. We need to understand the difference between salvation that's available to everybody and salvation that only gets applied. You know, Jesus died on the cross for all of us. And so... Being God's child is something that's available to anyone and everyone, but it's only applied to those who, as John says, have received Jesus Christ, have believed in his name. You've placed your faith in Jesus. You, you know what I mean? I illustrate it like this. If I, if I, gave, if I gave you a nice $100 gift card to your favorite store, you know, I gave you that gift card, so I paid for that gift card, right? You didn't earn it. Uh, you just got it as a gift. But, but then the gift, though, really can only be benefit to you as you use it, right? You have to actually take it to that store and go shopping with it and get things that you like with it and want with it, right? And then now you've actually completed the transaction, right? I give you the gift, and you say, that's great, but then you have to use the gift in order for the gift to be completed in your life. The truth is, the gift of salvation is exactly like that. It is hanging out there as an offer to every single man, woman, and child on the planet. It's available, but it can only be applied to your life if you receive it and take it, use it, depend upon it, right? Then God says, I'll make you my child. You, you, my family is your family. Mui casa, su casa. In, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to look to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to uh, just read this, these couple of verses here because it's really important to recognize that God has a place for us in his family, that being a part of God's family is an awesome privilege. And uh, he's given us a wonderful opportunity. Let me just read this paragraph, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And what is that? that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Not counting people's sins against them. You see, that's, that's the ministry of reconciliation. The wonderful message that you and I get to carry is that Jesus paid for sins. That Jesus is the answer. He's the solution. 
God's not mad at you anymore. He poured out his wrath on Jesus at the cross. And you don't have to live under God's wrath. God, you don't have to have your sins counted against you because Jesus paid for those. You hear the good message? Isn't that a good news? Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, that's you and me, the message of reconciliation. That's our message. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that cool? You represent Christ. And God's making his appeal to the world through you. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My friends, that is an awesome message that you and I get to carry. Look at that verse 21 again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. There was a great exchange that took place. Listen, I'm a righteous man. Why am I a righteous man? Because I go to church? Because I'm a pastor? Nope. I literally have the righteousness of Jesus. I'm a righteous man. Because there was an exchange that took place when I was 15 years old. The exchange was this. I traded in all of my sin, and Jesus gave me his righteousness. He became my sin. So all of that nasty stuff that I am guilty of doing, Jesus took it. And in its place, he gave me righteousness. So I stand before you this morning righteous and holy. Not because I deserve it. You understand, right? And now the message that you and I get to give to the world around us is the same message. Hey, friends, God isn't mad anymore. Jesus died for that. You know, Jesus is the solution to that problem. He's it, and I I can share that with you. So you know this Thursday when we go to the block party, right? You go, why do we do that? Listen, Boy Scouts can pass out shampoo, and they do a wonderful job at that. Girl Scouts, that's great. But you and I are different from that because we have the message of reconciliation. So the message is this. Look, you see, you, you, I'll give you this bottle of shampoo. You know what? There's more where that came from. There's a God in heaven who loves you, and he has a great plan for you, and he wants to heal you, and he ain't mad at you anymore because Jesus died for you. Like, there's more where that shampoo came from. See what I mean? Here's, here's, this, here's this cookie I'm serving. There's more where that came from. It's just the beginning. It's just the, the first of many. You follow that? And you and I represent on Thursday, when you're there at the park, you literally represent that wonderful family of God. Our message is, you can be a part of this family too. 
God can be your father too. He wants to be your dad. He wants to provide for you and bless you. He wants you to be his child. He, he, Jesus wants to share his inheritance with you too. It's not all mine to keep by myself. I can share it with you. You hear that? That's the place that God has for you. And you know, Jesus reconciles us, right? Like I said earlier, I know that I know that some of us have a great deal of pain when it comes to our family. And we look at our families and we see the brokenness and it kills us and it eats us up on the inside. I get that. But do you know that Jesus came to reconcile and that the great reconciler can reconcile your home? He can reconcile the marriage that been, that's been broken. He can reconcile the children that are lost. He can reconcile the damage that's been done and the abuse that's taken place. He can reconcile that, right? That's our Jesus. He's big enough to do that. And, and so this morning, I, I just want to invite you, even as we bring this time to a close, none of us has a perfect family. <clears throat> on earth but I am part of a perfect family with a perfect father who has a perfect plan who has a perfect love for me and a perfect solution for me and I am part of that right and I can invite God to bring his perfection and his healing and his gifts into my earthly family to bring reconciliation, to bring healing, to bring hope there, right? And then I can share that with the world around me. And so this morning, I guess I, I have a just a two-part, really, um, two-part invitation um, here at the altar this morning. And that's uh, this, that first... Uh, Whatever pain and brokenness there may be in your family, if you'd like for God to touch that, and I invite you to come to the altar and just kind of lay that and give it to him this morning. Let's pray about that together, okay? Let's watch God reconcile that, huh? But then secondly, you know, maybe uh, you would say, you know, I never actually have, you know, I believe in Jesus, yep, and I, I believe the gift card is there but I've never actually taken it, never actually put it to use in my life. I want to invite you this morning to come so that we can pray with you so that you actually can become a child of God. I want you to be my brother or my sister. And I know that my big brother Jesus wants you to be his brother or sister. He died to make that happen. So let me just pray for us, okay? And then, uh, and then we'll sing and the altar's open. And again, the same is true always that if you, don't, if you just want to pray on your own, you can feel free to do that here. Or if you want someone to pray with you, we're happy to do that too. Father, 
I just want to thank you so much for this thing called the family. I marvel at it, Lord, that you created us. You actually created us for it. And, uh, and yes, Lord, our sin, in our sin, we have broken it and we've done with the family what we've done with everything else on this planet, Lord. We've kind of messed it up. But Lord, I'm so thankful for you, Jesus, and for the hope that we have in you and the strength we have in you. And so this morning we come before you and we bring any of this brokenness to you. And we say, Lord, would you please fix it? And I invite you now, Holy Spirit, to come and have your way with us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So would you, let's, uh, let's process this together, okay, as we sing. Will you stand with me and let's sing.